Everybody, it's Monto Williams here with another edition of Free Thinking, and I am so excited to have a very special guest on the show today. She is a fellow veteran, having served for 23 years in the Army Reserves and National Guard. In 2014, she was elected as the first woman to serve in a federal elected office from the state of Iowa, and also became the first female combat veteran elected to serve in the United States Senate. She serves on five Senate committees, the Armed Services Committee, the Agriculture Committee, the Nutrition Committee, and the Forestry Committee, plus Environmental and Public Works, Judiciary and Small Businesses and Entrepreneurship. Please welcome my good friend, Senator Jody Erst to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today, sir. Oh gosh, it's so great to be with you, Montel. It's great to see you again. And, And I would be, of course, ridiculously remiss if I didn't say thank you for your service. You know, a lot of people don't know the fact that you were a combat veteran. And I think that that really comes with some real heavy respect, especially nowadays. And I'm not saying this in any way, shape or form to disparage any of your colleagues. But if we go back, I entered the service in 1974. I enlisted in the Marine Corps, went from the Marine Corps. I was uh, selected to the Naval Academy prep school. I graduated from Naval Academy. As a matter of fact, I'm one of the first enlisted Marines, African-American Marines, to actually graduate from the prep school graduate from the Naval Academy and then be commissioned as a Naval mm-hmm. officer. Mm-hmm. I served in the Navy, did my time. And I did, you know, back before we were talking about Persian Gulf Wars, I spent a lot of time. As a matter of fact, I was involved in the first Libyan shootdown back in 1987 um, when I was on board the yeah. USS Kitty Hawk. So I've served my time. But I remember when I entered the service in 74, I believe that it was about 70% of our Congress and Senate had served before. Mm-hmm. And right. now... We are living in a time when less than 14% of them have put a uniform on mm-hmm. and taken that oath of office and say they do solidly swear or form to support and defend the Constitution. And I know with you, that's something that you have, you've never, even though you wore the uniform, took it off in a way to put on another uniform to become a senator, you haven't taken the uniform off. Right. <laughs> it means that much to me, Montel. And, and thank you for your service as well. And, and there is a brother and sisterhood amongst those that have served and put those boots and that uniform on. And God bless every one of them for doing that. Absolutely. And then I also would be a little remiss if I didn't ask you, how are your fellow Iowans doing? Is that right? Iowan? Is That's that how you right. Say? How are they Iowans. doing? I mean, you guys you guys have I would have almost been two weeks, and I understand that there are still people living without power right now. Yes. There are a number of folks that still don't have power in the state of Iowa. We had a huge hurricane-like system that, believe it or not, came across the Midwest and impacted Iowa. It was called a derecho, and it was a Category 2 hurricane. Only the winds were up to 130 miles per hour, lots and lots of damage in uh, the state. And yes, we still have folks that are struggling right now. And But you know, the Iowans, they come together, they lend a helping hand for their neighbors, and we'll, we'll get through this. But thank you so much for your, your thoughts and prayers. Absolutely. Our <laughs> prayers go out to them. And you know, I'm, I'm, I would tell you that uh, I've been a little ticked at the fact that you know, um, when this last hurricane went up the past the East Coast, um, you know, a lot of people didn't recognize the fact that it went inland up in uh, New York and did so much damage, you know, pretty not as much damage as what you guys have faced. But I, I had friends who were without power for 10 days. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, and, and I'm sorry that we're living in a time when our media can't focus on these kinds of things rather than focus on division. But I mean, I really wish that there were more stories being told about the survivors and the good families and the good neighbors who are helping other neighbors in Iowa right now. Mm-hmm. And how do, what do you feel about that? Right, that- exactly. I, I agree, Montel. I, I wish we could focus on the real humanitarian issues that we have going on across the country. But more importantly, how we're coming together to bridge over those troubling times and how we get through these situations and these challenges and and find those opportunities where we can lend that helping hand to a neighbor or a colleague in those difficult times. I think we need a lot more of that today uh, than we need the divisiveness. Absolutely. No ifs, ands, or buts. And, you know, um, let's do my listeners and viewers you know, do them a, a solid by let's back up a little bit for those who don't know about your background. Why don't you talk a little bit about your military service before you become senator? Yeah, thanks, Montel. And service is is just really more more to me than a word. It is really who I am. It is part of my life. And I joined the military after going on an agricultural exchange while I was at Iowa State University to the Ukraine. And at that time, it was part of the Soviet Union. And after seeing how those folks lived on that collective farm um, under a uh, regime that really didn't believe in the same types of freedoms or opportunities that we did. Uh, I came back to Iowa State after that exchange program and decided I cannot take these values and freedoms that our great country offers us for granted any longer. And I decided to join Army ROTC, uh, went on to serve in the Army Reserves and the Iowa Army National Guard for over 23 years. I retired in 2015. As a lieutenant colonel, I like to say. Yes, as a lieutenant colonel and served in every leadership position from platoon leader all the way up to battalion commander and truly was one of the greatest honors of my life. I I was able to lead a company uh, in Iraq and Kuwait. Uh, We drove transportation convoys from Kuwait and through the area uh, up to Baghdad International Airport in the very first days of the Iraq war. And so trials, tribulations, but you know what? The U.S. soldier, um, any U.S. service member, they know how to get the mission done. And I was always so proud of the men and women that I served with. And, you know, I guess, you know, and without having to tell war stories, but, you know, you were, I want people to understand, uh, running convoys back and forth, you were in the thick of it. Right. A lot of people don't recognize, a lot of people, you know, think that we have women and female officers sitting in the back, back at some bivouac, but you were out there in a truck out there with your troops. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the one thing that we need to bridge that divide a little bit, because even though we were considered support personnel, we were driving all over in uh, that country and those that have served in Iraq, sometimes you don't know who's friend or who's foe. And a lot of folks just think of our heroes as the guys that are in the infantry and maybe they're, you know, charging the hill. But you know what? I've got the best truck drivers and mechanics and supply personnel out there and all of them 
were engaging in these transportation convoys, you know, so they're heroes as well, making sure that our warriors are, are fed and they've got the bullets and ammunition they need and, and the fuel. So, you know, uh, to me, they're all heroes and you know, in the thick of things. And a lot of people don't understand that a lot of them are the people who bore the brunt of most of the injuries from IEDs, IEDs. And, and attacks, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was so blessed because my company, we actually returned home whole. You know, a few injuries here and there, but we all made it home. The other two Iowa National Guard truck units that were there the same time we were, um, they both lost soldiers. Um, so I felt very blessed. I think, you know, God really was watching out for us while we were there. Absolutely. No, absolutely. So then what made you decide when you came back to seek a different type of uniform and that serve in the U.S. Senate? Yes. Well, when I got back from deployment, I decided to, to serve my community in a little bit different way. And I ran for Montgomery County Auditor and served in a local elected position. Then I went on to serve in the Iowa Senate. And that eventually led me to the United States Senate. But just another way that I could serve my state and my nation and another way that I could provide resources and services for our great fighting men and women. I felt that strongly about it. And I serve for many reasons, um, but certainly um, making sure that the men and women that are putting on our nation's uniform have the resources they need, not only while they are deployed or actively engaged in active service, but also then as they put that uniform into the closet and they decide to move on to other adventures. You know, we have a lot of vets out there that really do need support. And I feel very strongly about that. So let's talk a little bit about some of the initiatives that you literally championed when you first started, you got into Senator, I know you've worked on varied initiatives for our veterans. Let's go back to the first one that made you, you know, step up to the plate. Yes, I veterans mental health is something that is so, so important to me. And so we had the Vets Act and and making sure that veterans are receiving the types of support they need when they need it. And we've had so many issues with uh, veterans that then have gone to the VA and only to find out the next mental health appointment is a month and a half away. You know, when veterans are in crisis, they really need support now. So making sure that our VAs are able to take those veterans as they need assistance or refer them to others that might be able to assist in the local community. So that has always been very important to me. We've had a number of issues with Iowans that have taken their own lives because they didn't have the help when they needed it. So making sure that we can provide those services, very important. Well, I know you're working right now on the Homeless Veterans Coronavirus Response Act of 2020. And we know you just mentioned it, when it comes to suicide rate, I mean, before COVID, we were looking at anywhere from 22 to 24 vets a day committing suicide, depending on which numbers you read. And now you can read numbers of anywhere between 27 and 30 vets a day yes. that are committing suicide. And we really have to do something to bridge that gap. 
We do. We do. And so this Homeless Veterans Act, um, even before coronavirus, before we had the COVID-19 pandemic, the federal government estimated that we had about 40,000 homeless vets across the country. And so this particular act, um, which did pass through the Senate, does provide relief for our homeless veterans. It allows the VA to provide hygiene items, clean blankets and clothing, um, and allows those VA resources to uh, be partnered with other groups that are working on the homeless issue as well. So this way we're better able to support our homeless vets and make sure that they are protected, especially during this pandemic. It doesn't, does it not shock you though that, you know, a lot of the uh, information I've been reading lately is that there is a much larger percentage of female homeless vets than there anyone thought before today. I mean, especially in some of them who are single parents that are living on the streets with their kids. I, I wonder how can we live in a, in a country right now that, you know, we're supposed to be, you know, our brother's keeper. We're supposed to be looking out for the least of us and, they may be the least of us in numbers, but they have done the most for all of us by at least preserving the democracy that we have. Are there any, first off, are you getting a lot of support in the Senate for bills like this? Absolutely, uh, we do. And this is an area that I am happy to report that we all come together on and we understand the necessity of supporting our veterans who truly have given so much for this great country and it's time to step up and make sure that we are providing those supports for them as well. What we find with our female veterans um, as well is that they actually have a higher incidence rate of suicide than their male counterparts. So we have many more women that are attempting suicide and, and many more that succeed uh, than those males that are attempting suicide. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of that might stem from um, issues that they have had during military service, whether it was military sexual assault or sexual trauma, harassment, uh, other issues like that, that really fester inside of them. And uh, many of them will feel that there is nowhere to go. So I've also worked on a, a number of um, provisions that will help women through our VA system and provide peer counselors, other women that, that have worn the uniform as well, that can sit down and visit and counsel and find their way through these issues. We think it's really important to offer that. And, and I was proud to, to have a bipartisan support of that initiative as well. Well, you know, I've been doing a show, I think I told you about it when I was in your office, that I've been doing a show that's called Military Makeover, where we literally take the homes of deserving veterans and we make them over from the ground up at airs on Lifetime. But in every one of those shows that I've done, we go into a community and the community actually comes out in force. Even during COVID, we've been able to do too, and the community still shows up in force to help swing the hammers, you know, rake the grass, do all the repairs for us. But a lot of times we have local support, military veteran support organizations show up to lend support to that veteran and that veteran family. And that's where I, I think, you know, if we were going to expand a program to help 
you know, fund some things that would be putting that the, the money into the hands of the vets. I mean, I, I, I believe this strongly that soldier heal thyself. You know, if we get soldiers to help heal us, you know, we would do much better. Yeah, and that was the concept behind my bill as well, is to have soldier helping soldier, airmen helping airmen and so forth. I mean, it's just really important. You understand what it is to wear the uniform and understand those challenges as well. So I, I'm right there with you, Montel. Got to applaud you also for the bill that you were pushing, I guess, in July that was to review healthcare workers who had lost their licenses. Um, and that bill, explain that bill to us. Yeah, and this is a really uh, tragic circumstance as well. It went back to 2017. We had a veteran, a Marine veteran, who had reached out to us. He had a, a brain tumor, unfortunately, and he had been treated by a physician at the VA. Well, after, after he had brain surgery, he was not getting better. And so a second physician took a look at him and discovered that when he had undergone brain surgery, the original physician did not take out the tumor and they thought it had been removed. Well, come to find out the original physician was, he had a license that was revoked in several other states. He was hired illegally by the VA in Iowa. And so as a response to that, and, and poor Tony French who went through this, um, we have now passed this bill that requires us passed through the Senate, but we have required that there is a third party review of any veteran across the United States that was treated by a physician that had a revoked license. Then that third party review, they can go back and see whether that veteran was adequately treated or not and make sure that they are alerted then so that they can go back and have proper treatment. So it's, it's so sad that we have seen these cases. And like I said, it's not just in Iowa, it is all across the United States. We have to make sure that we're providing the proper care for our veterans. And especially in, in Tony's case, he thought the issue had been resolved. It wasn't at all. And what a traumatic experience. Oh, my God. I can imagine how traumatic that had to have been. So hey, I, I want to make sure I disclose to everyone. I, I had a visit in your office about two months ago yes. on a project that uh, I've been working on now for 10 years that really helps to impact traumatic brain injuries. As a matter of fact, it's a device called the PONS device, P-O-N-S, mm -hmm. that is a portable neuromodulation device that actually stimulates the two cranial nerves in your tongue, which then stimulates the, the cranial or your, your PONS area of your brain to help the brain get into a plastic state to help find pathways around damage. Now, now I should add that the PONS is an experimental device in the U.S. and has not yet been cleared for FDA approval. But this device did get FDA approval in Canada and then it was expanded in Canada to include MS and is now being used off-label for a myriad of, of neurological disorders. We still haven't had it approved here in the United States and it really has got to get approved. So I, I want everybody to know that I reached out to, we reached out to Senator Ernst and she has decided to help champion this cause and get this thing moved in so we can start supporting our tropes.
Yes, and I think it is so great, Montel, and I am so glad that we had that visit. I am so excited because whether, um, you know, it's traumatic brain injury, other types of injuries where we can find new uh, non-invasive ways of treating our veterans. And this goes well beyond our veterans, too, because um, certainly we want to make sure that our service members are treated or veterans are treated, but the applications across the United States and globally are pretty incredible. Absolutely. Take away some of the, some of the pain, some of the trauma that is experienced by those with traumatic brain injury, uh, whatever we can do. I think this is definitely something we should pursue. And you know what, now on that same note, because you are such a champion of uh, mental health issues, I want to let you know about a little, uh, not a little, it's a huge project that I've also been working on. It's a protocol, it's called RTM, Reconsolidation of Traumatic Memories. This program has been around now for about 10 years, but literally had to go through, you know, a painstaking process of being approved by, you know, psychological organizations. It's been published in, in, written about in peer-reviewed journals around the world. It's right now being studied in London. It's been used by the state of New York. It's been studied at Walter Reed, been used by the city of Albuquerque, New Mexico for first responders. And this is really one of the only true, viable, efficacious treatments for PTSD. It literally is curing 92% of all people who suffer from PTSD. And that's not just combat PTSD, that's also you know, uh, everything from, you know, domestic violence to accidents and youth childhood trauma, it has literally been that effective. So I've got to get that information to you so that you, uh, hopefully we can see if we can move us up the, the totem pole. Yes, exactly. A again, any way that we can explore how to make individuals whole again. Uh, I think it's really important. And, uh, you know, I studied psychology at Iowa State University, and that's why so many of these issues are very important to me, making sure that the, the whole well-being of a person, which includes your mental well-being, is so critical to having a full and fulfilling life. And so those veterans that have been shortchanged by trauma, um, that experiences that will linger on, if there are ways that we can help overcome, I think that those are opportunities we certainly need to explore. And especially if they're non-invasive. I mean, I think that's one of the most important things of all, being non-invasive and, 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 and not using another drug. I mean, unfortunately, right. a lot of our guys, and it's, this, this is where, you know, the jury is still out because I've heard contradictory information about this. But in some cases, some of what we're calling that 28 to 30 suicide is really overdose because of a mistake. Mm -hmm. Some of those could be because, you know, a soldier forgot that he took three of his pills rather than two of his pills or forgot that he took them in the morning and took them again in the evening and he overdoses. So we call it suicide, but it wasn't a deliberate attempt at suicide. It was just a mistake. And certainly, Montel, I have heard from so many veterans as well that when they are taking those medications, uh, they'll tell me, Joni, I don't feel like I'm myself. And so they're, they're being medicated, but they don't feel like 
they should feel or the way they used to feel. And they want to find ways to overcome that. And so um, RTM and other types of treatments, again, non-invasive, um, the less medications, if we can do that safely, I, I think we should be looking at that. And I think that our DOD should be open to that. Our VA should be open to that. And then also, like I said, anything that we're able to do in the DOD and VA also has has implications in other healthcare settings as well. Absolutely. You know, I, I think one of the things that, that amazes me, and I know I don't know if a lot of my viewers out there would know that you're a Republican, and I should say that I was a Republican for a large portion of my life. I changed over now. I'm an independent, and I voted independently for, you know, well, the last four cycles and will continue to do so. But, you know, people don't seem to understand that, you know, we get so caught up in these titles and this partisan labeling that we don't recognize compassion when compassion is there. And that's something that is a part of your core to the core. And I applaud you for that. And I'm glad that you show that to your, you know, your peers uh, on a daily basis. I know when you're, you know, speaking on the floor, you normally always speak from the heart. And I think, you know, the more and more, not only Republicans, but Democrats would hear this. I think we could have a better, you know, Congress, uh, how does that truly? Now, you're going to face a pretty tough election coming up. Anything you want your your uh, constituents to know? Well, certainly that I do care. I was born and raised in Iowa and born and raised in a strong community of faith and fellowship and helping one another. And I think that that is so very important. You know, I recognize the freedoms and values that we have in this great country and that we are a magnificent nation doesn't mean we're perfect, but we are such a great nation. And, you know, if you have the drive and desire and the skills and abilities, you can do just about anything in this country. And I'm so grateful that this little farm kid from, you know, rural Southwest Iowa was given the opportunity to serve my state and my nation, not only in uniform, but now, like you said, in a different suit, um, going to the halls of Congress. And in what other country is that possible? You know, my family is not politically connected. I don't have a wealthy family. We struggled at times when I was a kid. And, you know, it's just, it's really, rewarding um, when you put the effort into it and you can achieve great things, but only in this great nation. Only in this great nation. Let's hope that only in this great nation we can figure out how we can get beyond COVID-19. Now, you know, Iowans are faced with recovering from this crazy superstorm. And I just saw today, I guess the numbers are ticking up just a little bit in, you know, new positives in Iowa. What do you think, uh, what do we got to do? Yes, exactly. And and we just need to keep making sure that we wear our masks and that we are socially distancing when, when it's appropriate. Um, but certainly as we're going back to school and we're engaging other people, we need to remember it's still out there. We still don't have uh, the vaccine yet. And so I know people are anxious to re-engage in their normal lifestyle, but folks, we've just got a little bit longer and we just need to hang on and make it through. So, you know, 
I always think of my mom too. When I pick her up to go to church, you know, we go and we we wear a mask and go into the church. And we still have a lot of folks that aren't attending church physically yet. But um, as we're doing that, again, make sure we're spaced out from other people. Make sure we're doing all of those CDC recommended actions. We will get through this, but it's just going to take a little bit of time. Well, now, uh, where are you spending most of your time right now? You guys are on a little break right this minute, right? Yes, in Iowa. Um, So I'm actually at home in Red Oak, Iowa. I live about six miles from the farm where I was raised. All of my family is here. Matter of fact, after a little bit, I'll go pick my mother up and we'll go to (laughs) supper. Um, But uh, yeah, so in Iowa, but I do a 99-county tour every year. Um, Chuck Grassley, the senior senator, started this 40 two years ago. He visits every county every year. And it's one way that I can get out. Um, It's a little different during COVID-19, but we can get out and we can hear what's going on, uh, hear those challenges from Iowans and, and be able to look them in the eye and and say, you know, I'm here for you, I hear you, now let's find a solution. So I've been doing that heavily. I think I'm somewhere around 79 or 80 counties right now. So I've got a few more to go, Um, but it's all Iowa all the time. And just so again, so grateful that I've been blessed to have this opportunity. Well, I tell you what, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the show tonight. And I'm going to make sure that our office reaches out to you and gets you some information on that RTM program. And we can continue to work together on the ponds. Anytime you need me to come down and testify or anything like that, I'm there. I love it. Thank you so much, Montel. I appreciate you. you. Love working with you. Thank you. I love working with you too, Senator. You take care and good luck. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. 